Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name is Nate Davison, and I am so glad that you are here for this episode. Glad that you're joining in on this particular conversation because I think you're going to learn a lot from my good friend, Ezra Beyer. He's uh, going to join us for a conversation surrounding his journey uh, with depression. Um, and there's going to be so much in here that you're not going to want to miss. I don't know exactly where you are as you're joining in on this particular conversation in this episode. You may feel alone right now. You may feel like no one understands you. Um, no one's been where you are in your particular circumstances or where you're at on your journey. Um, and, and while your experiences are your own, and I'm sure there's unique details to your journey, unique details to your story about where you are currently, it's important for you to know that you are not alone, first of all. And it's also important for you to know that Others have been right where you are. They really have. Others have experienced what you're going through, whether that's emotions, whether that's uh, depression, whether that's suicidal thoughts, uh, whatever that might be, someone has been right where you are. And if not, if, if not a human being, then God certainly has experienced what you've experienced. He knows what you're going through. The Bible tells us that. So you are not alone. And, and more than that, the Grace Story community is here to, to gather around you as you're going through uh, the different parts of your restoration journey uh, and your walk with Christ and your walk through life. We're here to, to gather around you in a sense of community and provide support and resources that will equip you for that journey. Uh, I'm just glad you're here. I know it's not a mistake. Uh, I've said that before. I'm glad you're here because there's something in this episode that God has just for you. So knowing that, I want you to buckle in. I want you to listen close uh, and join in on the conversation because I don't want you to miss out on what God wants to do in and through you right now, no matter what is going on in your life. Now, our conversation today is with Ezra Beyer. He is the founder of themondaychristian.com. This is an online ministry that seeks to help people put into action the truth of God's word that they hear on Sunday to their everyday lives on Monday. He blogs regularly and hosts a weekly podcast where he brings on a wide range of Christian leaders to discuss topics that encourage Christians to grow in their faith. Ezra holds an MA in Practical Theology from Ohio Christian University and is working on a PhD in Philosophy from Columbia International University. Currently, Ezra lives with his wife and two kids in Nampa, Idaho, um, and he has a lot to offer with his experience his journey, his story, and uh, recently his published book, Walking with a Limp, uh, Thoughts of Hope for the Depressed and Discouraged. Uh, you can get that on Amazon or you can go to themondaychristian.com and find it there. Well, there is a lot to get to, and I can't wait for you to listen to this conversation. Can a Christian be depressed? Um, we're going to find out the answer to that. Let's go right now to our conversation with Ezra Beyer. Ezra Beyer, it's great to have you on. Uh, well, to be on this side of of interviewing, I was on your podcast, The Monday Christian, a while back, um, and it, it's different being interviewed. So now the tables have turned, my friend. Good to have you on today. I know. Well, hey, thank you. It's great to be on. And you know, it's it's so funny. I love like as I said when I had you on my show, um, 
when you get two podcast hosts on the same program, it just turns into a series of questions. Oh yeah, and we we set a time limit for ourselves, so uh, we'll we'll make sure we adhere to that. But I wanted to have you on because you just recently released uh, your book, um, "Walking with a Limp: Thoughts of Hope for the Depressed and Discouraged." Did I get that right? Yes, very good. So uh, you just released that, um, and I, I know there's kind of a story behind it too. Why you're so passionate about this topic? Um, what makes you so passionate enough to? write a whole book about it. I know. So what I do for a living, I'm a freelance writer for a living. And that's kind of my job all throughout the year is to work on people's books. And so uh, it's fun to actually do my own. Um, And for me, this was kind of just more of a personal journey. Um, It was a difficult journey for sure. Uh, The first two books I wrote were more just more like theological. And you're able to create some distance kind of between yourself and the words of the page. and when I did this book, I sent it off. Actually, I'm going to have her on my podcast next week, uh, Amanda Rooker. And she's worked with multiple New York Times bestsellers and is a great editor. And And so I reached out to her and I said, Amanda, um, I want you to review my manuscript and give me some thoughts. And um, she did. And she came back to me and she, she said, Ezra, what in the world? You don't have your story in here. Like I, when I picked this up, I expected to hear more of your story. And so from that, and I realized, yeah, okay, I probably have to be a lot more vulnerable than I was wanting to be, you know, kind of create that distance as authors like to do. And so from there, uh, that began a long rewrite process and to where, um, getting the book to where it is today. Well, and we're, we'll get into your story just a little bit with, with only enough, just the wet the appetite for people to buy the book. But uh, what what was it like and how did you go about being vulnerable? Because there seems to be some, um, I guess, stigma still around people that have depression or go through these dark times. What, how did you get yourself to that vulnerable state? Just for me, I think, so I, um, I'll speak for different things. Like I was a pastor for 10 years. And so for me, what helped me overcome my fear of public speaking was focusing on that one person, whether they were there or not, but that one person that had not accepted Christ. And I said, okay, I'm going to preach to that one person and not focus on the people that are critiquing every word that I say. I'm just going to focus on that one person. And so when I was going through this dark time that we'll get into, um, for me, I just began writing all during that season. And as I wrote, I wrote with a person like me who was going through a tough time uh, in mind. And so from that perspective, it was easy to keep that the main focus because I was like, no, I I don't want to write to a cynic. I want to write to someone who's actually going through tough things because that's who I want to help. Well, I I think it's fair to say that more people go through uh, dark times or, uh, you know, depressive states than would like to admit it. And I think it partly has to do with that stigma around that. Did you experience that in your story or after having shared your story? Yeah, definitely. It's a little bit complicated because the the first part is most, I think generally we've gotten to a place where if people are going through tough times, we want to help. Most people, I don't know really of anyone who just says, man, you're going through a tough time and you're so depressed and you're having maybe even suicidal thoughts. Um, uh, Well, tough luck for you. No one I know says that. But what we often do is we say, okay, man, I'm here for you anytime you need me. The problem with that though is we say, a lot of times we say that with the assumption that things should get better. And when oftentimes things continue to linger in our tough. And 
I'm not going to call someone every um, two in the morning when I'm struggling with this, right? Um, and, and so I think that's a big thing. And and there definitely is, despite our our growth in this area, I guess as a society, um, there still is a little bit of that flavor out there that just says, okay, you you just need to get over it. We all go through tough things. And what I realized though, going through this is yes, there is a part of that that is healthy where we need to you know, pull ourselves up and then get moving. Um, there's also a part though where you just feel so immobilized and you don't know wh- where to do, how to turn. And at that point, you're just, you're just stuck. And, and so again, that that's kind of, as I wrote that, that it's with that person in mind. So I'm, I'm going to have a circle back to that point in just a little bit about maybe how, how can people help others who are, or in these moments, um, and what that looks like, but let's let's tell a little bit of your story. Um, and I don't know where you want to start with that or what makes chronological sense, but can you let us in on what that looked like for Ezra Beyer before you just the 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 state you were in and and what how did it start? Yeah, so I grew up in Northern Ontario, about eight hours north of Toronto. A small little town called Cochrane, and that town actually, if you're familiar with Tim Hortons Coffee in Canada, which is the best, actually, it's not really the best coffee in the world, but for whatever reason, when I lived in Canada and every Canadian I know virtually, that's just where we go. And, and it's just become such a habit that it's, it's just difficult to break. So now that I live in the U.S. again, I miss my iced cappuccinos and all that stuff. So but, Dunkin, Dunkin Donuts is not the same or? No, 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 no. That would not even, you can't even include that in the same sentence. Yes. Very, very different thing. here. Let's, let's keep this straight. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I grew up in Cochrane, Ontario. Tim Horton, that was our one claim to fame. He uh, was born in our town. That's about all anyone really needs to know about Cochrane. It's, it's very uh, out there. Um, lived there till I was 14, parents separated, moved with my mom to Cincinnati, Ohio, lived there for seven years, down to Virginia for three, worked at a church there, and then in 2014, moved to Toronto, Ontario. And the difference there was that we were moving into a city where we didn't know anyone really before moving. We knew a couple of people, but that was about it. And um, I, I put somewhere in this book, I put, um, let me just pull it up real quick. Um, let's see here, page 11, Johan Hari, he, he writes this thing, a uh, book called Lost Connections. And he says there's, there's nine reasons, oftentimes people fall into depression. And it can be disconnection from meaningful work, other people, lack of meaningful values, uh, childhood trauma, lack of status and respect. Um, kind of the natural world and a lack of a hopeful or secure future. And when I read that several years ago, that connected with me because it was as if six or seven of those things that I just rattled off all kind of converged at once, where we were in a completely different environment, doing something totally different, where we're suddenly not surrounded by trees and scenery, it's the concrete jungle not knowing anyone in a place where you're struggling to plant a church in kind of a hostile church environment. And so all of those things really kind of converged. And that's, it was about a year and a half in where it was a, I think it was a February. And I just remember sitting at our kitchen table and um, just, I remember just, it was so random, like tears just started coming down my eyes. And I was like, what in the world? Like, this is, this is just weird. Well, I've never felt this way before. And so initially, um, I just kind of brushed it off because I thought, 
Well, I mean, that's leaders go through tough times, right? And that's just kind of a part of it. But really quickly, in the next several weeks that followed, I just realized something had, it was as if something had snapped in my mind. And I've heard different people that have struggled with depression use that same illustration. And uh, when that happened, really for the next several years, um, just long periods of time where it would be weeks on end, where honestly, some of the darkest days, um, just thoughts of suicide, uh, just almost constant where, you know, people would be better off without me, all those different dark places that people go to. And, you know, in, in some of those lowest moments, you really don't know who to turn to. I had great friends like my friend Troy Keaton, just phenomenal friend in that and in, in help in that area. But it's it's still, it's really tough to talk to someone about that unless they've gone through it. So it's not lost on me though, because you're, you're up there uh, following a calling Mm -hmm. Um, this is, this is clearly God's will for you to be in that place. Yet this is happening. So within God's will, you find yourself overwhelmed and in a dark place. How did you rectify that with the will of God? Or did you have doubts about that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a big thing and that, that a lot of people struggle with. And I certainly do because we often have that, the notion that we're, when you're at the center of God's will, then there's peace, there's rest, and, and all that stuff. And so when all of this kind of came in, uh, I just, you know, it, it does, it leaves you with a lot of questions. And that's really when I begin to, to start writing. Uh, for me personally, writing is therapeutic. And so when I write, it really crystallizes the thoughts that are swirling around in my head. And I say, okay, no, this is true. This is not true, that kind of stuff. And so that's really when the book all began to come about. It was about a year into this journey. I just started writing down the different thoughts that were going through my mind and how to work my way out of those thoughts based on what I knew to be true. Well, and you do write about um, doubt in the book. It's on page, I have it pulled up here, 113, I believe it is, um, just about those doubts. I, let me ask you this on that. How does doubt play into that depression? How did it contribute to that overwhelmed feeling that led you down the path up to uh, up to and including f feelings of wanting to just disappear, commit suicide, people are better off. Uh, and, and why was it so important for you to have that in this book about that journey as well? Yeah, I mean, uh, when I talk to people over and over again, doubt is a major issue because, you know, there's kind of four pillars, God's good, wise, faithful, and sovereign. We often use that expression, right? And what doubt does is it kind of, puts those pillars under attack in our lives. And, and as I put, there, there's different levels of doubt. And, and one is kind of like, okay, why is God delayed in doing what I know he can do, right? That's kind of the level one. And then it goes down to, um, does God care about my situation? Um, how could God be good then and allow this to happen? And then ultimately it leads us to, does God even exist? And for me, it's, it's important that when you're going through a dark space, a dark, dark season of your life, to deal with those doubts and to confront them head on. I, I guess I, I've just, I've seen different people that have not confronted those doubts, kind of push them to a side. And then at some point it just all comes to a head and then they explode and we'll say, okay, well, God just must not be real. But what I've really found, what I've sensed through my journey is that God really wants us to bring our doubts to him and that as we do that and we confront them honestly, right, 
there's tremendous healing that that comes through that process. So, and in, in your book, you talk about uh, w- one of the aspects is the reorganizing your schedule. Um, talking about imbalance and, and you know the extremes, you need balance there. Your schedule, you need a balance there. How important um, was is balance to this battle with depression? I mean, it's very important. It's something that we don't talk about a lot sometimes because it's easy to pass over it where we say okay uh, oftentimes um, going back to Johan Hari's book it's easy to just pass over and say okay you must be depressed and so since you're depressed it's a chemical imbalance well what is a chemical imbalance well what does that what does that mean what, what does that look like for your life um, and and are there other factors at play I think sometimes we can either over spiritualize things okay this is just an attack from the enemy or we can move to the other extreme where it's just, okay, it's just medication. And I certainly each of those play a role. I think there, and that's one of the struggles I think for Christians that struggle with depression is there is an aspect of warfare, spiritual warfare that is mixed into that. And it's hard to untangle that sometimes. Um, but just coming back to that balance part of things, for me, that was one of the things that helped me work my way out is really finding, okay, what, what are my limitations? Dep- that's one of the biggest things depression did for me is it defined what I knew I could could and couldn't do. Up until that point, I had just always been used to, if you give me X, I'm always going to do X plus 10, right? Uh, whether it's writing, if I have a goal to write a thousand words, I'm going to do 1500 or 1250, right? And I'll always try to exceed it by just a little bit more. But what I realized is that there's something very dangerous in that approach, that there's a reason God gives us limitations. There's a reason in the Old Testament why the Israelites were told to glean around the edges of their fields, but not glean too much because to leave for the widows and orphans, but also um, for their own benefit, to realize that they need to, there's a line where, okay, you have enough to provide for yourself. And then taking a Sabbath, that's a clear cut line again. And and so for me, that's what depression did. And so very practical things. just start with the basics. Okay, obviously meaningful time with God is important, but that's something easy to overlook, right? So when you're going through de- depression, man, you have to fight for that with everything in you. That means going to the Psalms and connecting with David and other psalmists and saying, man, okay, so what does this look like right now? And, and journaling, physical exercise. This is one of the biggest things for me is physical ap- exercise was kind of optional, um, and now it's not, it's just, it's just a reality. It's part of every uh, day living for me and sleep. That's another one. I mean, I remember, uh, different times in my life, you know, and getting up consistently around four, four thirty AM. And, uh, just because I wanted to be like, you know, such and such in history that got up at this time and I wanted to be productive. Uh, but then again, depression kind of brought me back to reality and said, okay, no, you need uh, for you, you have a limitation of sleep. There's, you know, for me personally, I need about seven and a half to eight hours. And I kind of hate that. I wish I could go on six, but I just, I physically cannot. And so it, that's what depression did. It set those limitations uh, for me. And you, you mentioned the depression, even thoughts of suicide. Um, and here's some tools that you're, you're using to overcome those obstacles. Were there other tools and obstacles or people that specifically helped you in that time? Because I can, I can only imagine being in that state um, where, you know, lower than low, reaching up to touch rock bottom. 
um, you're probably not sitting there thinking, well, I'll go to my tool bag here, open it up, and yeah. uh, okay, the psalmist, that's what's going to get me out of this rut. What's it like being in that state? Do you is there someone you go to? Um, is there someone you've prepared yourself to go to? Is there an exercise, an activity? Um, is it what you've mentioned? What do you do in that moment of darkness? That's a big thing because those the early days you really because you're not expecting it and you're so used to living without it, you really don't know what to do at first. And so um, at first, I, I'm guessing most people like myself, you try to ignore it or cope with it the best that you can. And then from there, you try to reach out a little bit. And then, um, and, and just my experience is I realized that kind of going back to what I said earlier, there's some people that they can take it a little bit, but you really do have to be careful how much you are share with others and are vulnerable. That, that is something important because if you just go and you just say, okay, listen, these are all the thoughts that I'm having. How do I deal with it? A lot of people do not know how to um, properly respond to that. And their advice can actually be very detrimental if you're not careful. And so it, it's really critical that you find people in your life that, that can speak life. Two, very quickly for me, were Troy, uh, Troy Keaton, uh, my good friend, and then uh, David Harkoff, who's kind of my running body and accountability partner. Um, spent a lot of time just calling him, talking to him. And here was a big thing. Again, this is so often miss, uh, like, I don't know why we don't do this more often, but would pray together. And so often it's just, we can give advice and say, okay, I'm here for you. But there, man, there is incredible power when someone is going through a really dark season of just sitting and praying with them. And so, okay, God, would you strengthen, in my case, Ezra today? And would you give him help today? And um, some of the most meaningful times in my life were, were conversations like that. Well, and we are going to circle back to this, but we're talking about it right now. So if I'm a person who's never experienced what you've gone through, it's trouble for me to have empathy. Um, or maybe I have gone through it and it's still like, I don't want to go back down that road. Or I, I, it seems like I got over it. You should too. Besides prayer, because that's a great place to start, uh, bringing in the third person uh, of God to any conversation is going to uh, propel it to some level of a success. But what's what's some ways that I can practically enter into or be available to someone? Because you don't just run up and like, hey, buddy, I heard you're depressed. I'm here to help. Um, we don't usually do that. But you were right. We do want to help. How do I help? Yeah, I mean... I, th I would say if, if you've never gone through it, and statistics say, again, I'm probably getting this a little bit off, but I think around 10, 11% have, uh, of the U.S. population, the last I, I checked at least, um, have, have struggled with clinical depression, at least on an ongoing basis. Um, again, semantics, how you define that differs. Um, and so chance for a lot of people, they, they haven't gone through times like that. So it's very natural. Okay, well, what do I do? Um, well, what I would just say is just the basics of other people that have gone through difficult seasons. And that's being present in a person's life. And yes, you don't have the all the right words. Yeah, neither do I for my friend who family member just went through a terrible car crash, right? Like I don't have, there's nothing that I can say that relates to that person where they're at, right? But going and being present in their lives and not just saying, Hey, I'm here for you whenever you, you know, you need me, but being proactive and saying, okay. And, and intentionally following up and saying, okay, hey, man, like I'm going to be praying for you every time at this particular part of the day. 
how specifically can I be praying for you today? Um, let's just go hang out. Let's hang out for, you know, an hour or an afternoon together and just spend time together. All of those basic things are often the ones that are often most overlooked. Well, and you're not the first person to mention that uh, we had Mark Cravens on talking about, uh, as he says, at a time when the wheels just fell off of his life. Um, and he talks about that people just being present. Um, it was noticeable the people that weren't there. And, and, you know, he says maybe they just didn't know how, um, but it still was noticed that they weren't there. So um, just being present, the power of presence. Uh, I want to yeah. go back to your story just a little bit um, and take it from a different angle. So where we left off is you're, you're you know, you had those thoughts of depression, thoughts of suicide. And in that moment, before we have the books and before we have the, the helping other people, how did this affect you and your family um, as you're working through this? Yeah, that's a big question because I think that's one of the reasons. If it weren't for my family, I probably wouldn't have gotten the help that I needed. Um, let's take counseling, for instance. Um, I wouldn't have gone to a counselor probably on my own. But it was what do you think that it, it, you wouldn't have recognized oh, it? Or? I'm, I'm a proud guy. <laughs> You're a macho man. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean that. Yeah, there, there's a big part of that. I mean, I'm a big history buff, right? World War II, um, General Patton, all that stuff. I mean, um, I'm reading a book right now on how they built the transatlantic railroad, and and just like, okay, people that just persevered through hard stuff. Just finished a book on on uh, Meriwether and Lewis. And, uh, you know, their, their work across the U S and so that's kind of was my perspective. Okay. You, everyone goes through tough stuff, but when I saw the impact that it was having on my wife and kids, not, not like Janan was just a mess all the time. I'm not talking about that, but just the constant drain that me not being fully present was having on her. I, that's really when I sense kind of God convicting me and saying, okay, you, there's something wrong with you where, okay, maybe you don't want to get help for yourself. And that's a separate issue in and of itself. Cause you, I should be willing to do that, but go do it for your wife and kids. That's why I started, you know, I tried medication and was on that for two years. I went to a counselor for a year, um, just working through different things each month. But again, that all started because I realized, okay, it's, it's bigger than just me. It's, it's about my family, about the church I was leading at the time, all that stuff. Well, and you mentioned something that's so interesting, um, that you did it for someone else, but you should have been able to do it for yourself. We talked in the episode with Don Davison, it's a couple episodes before this one, um, about how we can minimize what we're going through simply. I mean, if you're looking at Meriwether and Lewis, like that's real adversity, what they're doing. So yeah. w what I'm going through, you know, come on, I just need to get through it. But Having enough respect for your own emotion and validating your own emotion uh, is is an important thing so that you can get the help that you need. Um, yeah. Let me ask you this. In, in your book, you mentioned, and I think it goes right along with that time in your life, the black dog of depression. What is that? And, and, and how did that uh, enter into your experience of your journey? When I went to my counselor, that was one of the first videos that he showed me. And, um, when he showed it to me, it just made so much sense. So if you've never seen it, YouTube, uh, world health organization, the black dog of depression, just, just Google it and you'll find it. And, um, we have three golden noodles, right? And they're in our backyard. And when you go out, they're just always at your heels, always wanting attention. Right. 
And depression is often like that, where it's kind of an invisible black dog, where it's with you all the time. It's nipping at your heels. And whatever you try to do to get away from it, it's just always there. And um, as the illustration goes from the video, you know, like over time, that black dog can continually grow and grow and grow to where it's all that you can see in your life. And depression, when it's not dealt with in a right manner, that's what it'll do. It'll just it'll consume you and it will it will become overwhelming to where you can't function. You know, I mentioned, man, just going back to this real quick, Meriwether Lewis just finished his book. He committed suicide um, right at the end. Oh, man, it was, it was tough to listen to that, listen to the audio version. And um, he uh, went through some tough stuff. But at the very end of his life, um, young guy in his 30s, I think, just got to the place where life was not worth living on some different med- medications at the time, opioids, things like that, yeah, that probably weren't all that helpful. Yeah. And, and, um, but he got, and that's the thing, man, going through the, these times, I, 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 I honestly could say I would, I could never see myself getting to that place where I would do something like that because it's like, man, my wife and kids, I just, I love them so much. Right. But here's what I did. I, I, I could understand how people got there. You'd see different pastors that would come out and you'd see that, uh, all of a sudden, uh, Jared Wilson several years ago, um, took his life. And after he had spoken about mental health and suicide for years, and I think it was suicide awareness day or something like that, that the day he took his life. And when that happened, I mean, people were quick to jump on quick to criticize, but I'm like, man, I, I could really see how you would get to that place. And so anyways, I don't know how it quite went down that trail, but yeah, bring me back. Well, and you, the, the black dog there, no. it, does that represent like emotions that are on uh, what what is it just the depression is always there and you're just never going to get rid of it um how does that play out i mean again just kind of go back to their illustration as, as i would understand it's been a little while since i've uh, i've watched it in its entirety but you can do different things that make the black dog shrink right and different things you cannot do um that will make cause it to grow and i think that's a big thing for a lot of people um, depression is never going to fully go away. I, I'm pretty convinced of that in, in talking and speaking with a lot of different people on the subject. Um, it's just going to be something that's going to linger there. And there's all kinds of reasons for that. Genetics could play a component in it. Your, your makeup of who you are, all that, all that different stuff. Um, and so the big thing I think is, is learning, okay, how do I deal with it and how do I minimize its effects in my life? Okay. Maybe I'm more prone to depression than other people. So what do I got to do? Just like other people have to cope with other things. What do I have to do to treat this seriously and to minimize its impact in my life? Well, and we, we talked with Jamie Taylor in her episode, it was about anxiety, um, not necessarily depression, but she talked about being jealous of people that, you know, she knows it happens. God walks into their life and they're healed. And she's like, well, I, I would, I would love that. I would love for that to happen, but it doesn't always happen. And it sounds like you're saying the same thing there. Uh, but to dig a little bit deeper on that point, um, when it comes to those, um, those, those actions, those emotions surrounding depression, that's something you experience. And, and the emotionally, uh, a, a person who has a high emotional IQ recognizes emotions as a signal for something. We've learned that in these podcast uh, episodes. But how, in your experience, uh, 
what is a healthy way to experience those emotions while in that depressive state? Because it sounds like that can be very fragile. Uh, you know, for someone uh, like the, the the pastor you mentioned, who's yeah. speaking about mental health issues and uh, still ended up committing suicide. So how how do we, in a healthy way, recognize and experience the emotions surrounding depression? And then maybe what's a way to, uh, or how how long should we dwell on them uh, moving forward? Actually, that's a good point, because John Piper makes a quote that if you've I'm going to totally butcher it here. But if you've gone through a tough time, right, mourn for the life that you've lost. And there's a part, uh, Mark Rogop, this guy I want to get on my podcast here before long, uh, he wrote a book on lament. There, There is power in, the, in this very scriptural to lament the brokenness that we have in this world. And so there's different times in your life where it's where you feel so crushed. And I just remember this so vividly. I'd feel so crushed and just so as if there was no person in the world to talk to but God, right? And as terrible as that is, that's also, there's something uniquely special. And there were some amazing moments, not mountaintop experiences by any stretch of the imagination, but amazing moments of closeness to God that I sensed through the depression that I otherwise wouldn't have experienced. And so for me, a key is, especially if you're married, you need to communicate well with your spouse, um, the times that you're most prone to it, all, all that kind of stuff, and then communicate with them. That's what they want anyways. I mean, that's, that's what they want you to do. They don't want you to just bottle it up and, and hold it on the inside. They want you to, you know, to share. And, um, and so that's, for me, that's what I started doing. And I just, it, something as simple as this. Okay, Janan, um, man, today is just today's a bad day. And it's not just, okay, I'm having a hard day. You're having a hard day. No, today's like, she knows. Okay. It's, it's a really bad day. And you know what I started doing? Um, sometimes I just go down, I'd take a two hour nap, right? Amazing how much better I felt. But before I wouldn't have given myself the permission to do that. I wouldn't have given myself the permission to pause and go out and go for a run, clear my mind, you know, I would have said, no, I have all these things I have to do and just kind of try to plow through it on my own. But, um, yeah. Well, sure. And we, we talked with Zach Clark about burnout and that's one of the things he talked about, not just plowing forward. Um, you need to actually schedule into your time, time for refreshing yourself, time for renewing yourself, time for reflection, uh, just giving yourself time, not to beat yourself down about all, all your uh, your failures, but rather to look at things and, and get some tools moving forward. Uh, yeah. So your book, you, it just came out. Are there people that have reached out to you after looking at your book, reading your book? Are there inspirational stories that you have uh, from this book of people reaching out to you that have read it? It's neat. Just a few days ago, um, uh, well, in the last two weeks, I've sent out about 50 promo copies, right? And uh, was it was yesterday, the day before, I guess. Um, uh, one of my Facebook friends, don't really know her that well, uh, reached out and sent kind of a lengthy text and just saying how it connected. I forgot how she put it, but basically the words that I shared connected exactly where she was at in her circumstance. And I think, and I texted my buddy and I said, hey, this is the reason you write. Because... It's in those moments. You don't write for the cynics. You don't. You don't write for that. You wrote, write for people that are going through tough stuff. And 
And so, you know, it's things like that that are just so meaningful um, because you can tell and they get it. I'm sure it's so encouraging when people come along and they, they hear your story, they see what you've learned about it, what you're giving them on the topic, and it's lifting them up. Uh, that's got to be encouraging. But what's um, besides what's in the book, what's maybe one of the best pieces of advice that someone has given you on this whole topic as you were going through your journey before or after? What's maybe that best piece of advice? Man, that's a, it's such a common question, but it's, it's a good one. Um, I remember one person said, uh, my professor, Dr. Philip Brown, he said, remember that God is more interested in developing your character than he is in teaching you a lesson. And he wasn't even saying that in reference to depression. Um, but I just remember overhearing that in a conversation I think that we had. And um, that really stuck out to me because oftentimes we want to say, God, okay, teach me this lesson. And then I can get on to the next thing. Well, I know I want to do that. But that, I guess my prayer would be for those that read the book is that it's not an answer book. It's not written from a super spiritual perspective or super medical perspective. It's kind of an in-between where I write to the person that's in the trenches, in the throes of depression. And, and in the midst of that, I'm saying, okay, I know it's bad, right? But God is developing your character in unique ways during this season that you otherwise wouldn't experience. And the amazing thing is oftentimes we only wait till a person's story is fully come full circle before we celebrate that story, before we give praise. But going back to C.S. Lewis, I think some of the highlights of praise, the highest praise that we can give is when we are, when evidence of God just seems to be gone and everything looks dark. But we still say, okay, no, I believe that there is a God that is good and he has my best interest in mind. And we continue to worship when everything in us tells us to quit. Well, I want to camp out here just for a second because I think, and I want to know, we've talked a little bit about how you've developed through this and how you've had, you had some tools, some resources that you have on your ongoing journey. Uh, and I don't want to be confusing here, not that God changes, but maybe your perspective and your view of who, how you view God, has that changed in this journey at all? Yeah, I mean, it definitely. It can't help help but change, right? And, and so I think there's some things, I think, that in the Christian life we can only really discover through some form of suffering. I'd have to hash that out a little bit more. But there's just something, suffering is just, it, it's related to so much of what we went through uh, when you go back to the early New Testament church. And I think ideally that should not be the case. Um, but I think we become so comfortable with the comforts, especially in Western culture, of what we have. And and complacency is just so easy. It's so easy to fall into that trap. And, and I think it's only through some adversity and getting out of our comfort zone and really understand, okay, when I, th this is beyond what I can control that we're freshly prompted, I guess, to reach out to God and, and discover his grace in, in those moments. Well, yeah, that makes sense to me, especially when, you know, we, in the American church, it's hard to, when you get to the end, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. Um, fighting implies adversity. Um, so it, when we're going throughout that adversity, 
it's got to be really hard, even though we should know better, to thank God for the adversity to help us grow, depending on what that is. Uh, that sounds yeah. like a, a whole nother podcast uh, episode where people may agree or disagree with us on the, the basis of the theology of that. But um, where can people find this book? And also, where can people find more about you? Yeah, simple ways, just Amazon if you want to pick it up there. Um, if you want to do more, you know, pick up a couple copies, like I encourage people to do, hand out to friends and family, whatever, uh, go to the mondaychristian.com. That's where you can find me, podcasts, books, all that kind of stuff. Great. Uh, and one more thing just before you go, I like to ask people this question, give you an opportunity to speak directly to the people who are joining our conversation here, uh, meeting people where they are. Some may be relating to you. Others may be saying, I, I don't really understand that, but I, I love his story. I want to read more about it. Um, I'll go and I'll look that up. If there's something that you could leave with them, something to do, something to remember, um, it, speaking directly to the listener, what would that be right now? I just go back to that quote, God's more interested in developing your character than he is in teaching you a lesson. And don't miss what God's doing during this season of your life. I remember walking into a um, coffee shop just after I'd asked my wife, like, you know, would you would you pray with me? I asked her one morning that, that God would just kind of reveal himself to me and show himself real. And I remember walking into a coffee shop, Tim Hortons, by the way. And uh, as I walked in, I, I just remember kind of mentally saying to God, God, why? Like, why am I going through this stuff? Like, I, I just, I hate it with everything in me, right? And and I remember it was as if, it, I, it wasn't an audible voice, but it, it was just so clear, as if the voice of God said, because in your pursuit of answers to these questions, you will find me. And that was powerful. And so I sat down for the next while and just wrote from that perspective. And there are some things, I don't know what you're going through today. It might be depression, it might be something else. But I guarantee you that God wants to reveal himself to you in a fresh way that you've never experienced before. And don't miss that. Don't be so eager to rush through this process, as terrible as it might be. And as much as you, you are working to, to get out of it, don't rush what God is doing in your life during this season. I love that. That's a that's a wonderful way to to end this episode. Uh, check out Ezra Beyer, the Monday Christian, on Facebook uh, and MondayChristian.com. Uh, there's more resources there for you. Thank you, Ezra, for being on this episode, and a big thank you to everyone joining in uh, to listen to this episode and joining the conversation. We're so glad you're here. Now, before you go, we have a few things that we do want you to do. Uh, number one, we want you to share this episode, whether that's uh, sharing things from the Gray Story Podcast Facebook page or uh, texting this episode to three of your friends. Or if you if you can't figure out how to do that, just take a screenshot of, of this episode on your phone and text this uh, screenshot to three of your friends so we can continue to grow the Gray Story community. Uh, make sure you go over and follow, uh, click like on the Grace Story Podcast Facebook page. Follow us on Instagram, Grace Story Podcast over there. There's so much going on that you won't want to miss out. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Until then, we'll be praying for you on your journey of restoration. Don't give up. There's more for you that God has just around the corner. <laughs>